Welcome to Code Talk, the podcast from dzone.com. For developers, by developers. So yeah, before we jump in, hi, Anders, nice to meet you. I don't think that we've talked before, but a number of people at Dizon I think have talked with you before, so it's great uh, to meet you. Um, yeah, likewise. Thank you. So I was for a day at Idle 2016 um, on Thursday, though. I didn't see your talk. And uh, the, the topic there is interesting, like the topic of measurement um, that, that really matters um, because obviously uh, many metrics are uh, gameable or um, hard to interpret or um, are worth nothing in isolation. Just give me a quick uh, picture of your sense, not the whole talk, but of like uh, really for uh, DevOps in general, uh, what metrics do matter and, and what do you get out of these metrics and which ones are dependent on others? Yeah, no, that, I mean, that's a, you know, that's a whole lot of interesting uh... Uh, interesting questions there. I mean, I think the the, the fundamental thing about metrics, it, it, I mean, it gets almost kind of um, kind of simple motherhood and apple pie, but it's the scientific method. You know, we're 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 trying to, you know, run experiments. We're trying to do continuous improvement. You know, whether we're agile, DevOps, CD, you know, whatever label um, or or uh, or methodology or or you know whatever you want to pick. We're trying to do continuous improvement, and, and you've got to do the scientific method. So you've got to figure out, you know, how to measure things and, and understand the implications uh, of, of that measurement, uh, and, and you know what what does that break into, and and how do I really collect data about that you know kind of measurement? I think the there was an interesting example that I actually left out of the uh, the presentation just for time, um, but you know we we. One of the things that I talked about, um, especially with respect to, you know, deployment and, and operations, obviously a key metric that a lot of people pay attention to is the, the mean time to recovery. Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 that's, and, and that obviously means a lot. Now, that is a great metric, but you also want to think in terms of what is the impact of that downtime, you know, whether it's cost or, or you know, lack of, you know, or loss of goodwill or, or you know, bad press or, or what have you. But um, – you know, mean time to recovery for uh, the entire application is obviously very important. Um, mean time to recovery for the microservice that displays your avatar, um, probably a little less important. You know, you, you might even not be as stressed about that if it goes down. Obviously, if, you're, if the microservice that does your, um, you know, that does your shopping cart or your checkout or your credit check or, or, or something like that, if that goes down, Obviously, that has massive impact on you know the bottom line and, and all kinds of things. So, so even even when you start talking about something like mean time to recovery, it it, it gets very subtle pretty quickly. And and I had a discussion with somebody else about that, and, and 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 we even dug even deeper and said, look, mean time to recovery actually turns into, you know, how long did it take you to discover that there was a problem? How long did it take you to you know figure out how to remediate the problem? How long did it take you to deploy the fix to remediate the problem? Um, did you spend any time trying to figure out how you could have caught this upstream earlier, you know, as part of your software pipeline instead of, you know, let's say in production and, and all of those kinds of things. So, so even, you know, even when we talk about something that, that seems as straightforward as mean time to recovery, it actually, you know, turns into a pretty, uh, you know, kind of interesting exercise uh, pretty quickly if, if you want to dig you know, kind of deeply into those numbers and what the significance is and, and all of those kinds of things. And then, you know, obviously, if you're an online service, you care a lot about MTTR. You know, if you're not an online service, then you, you probably care a little bit less about that, um, <laughs> except that you're going to have a harder time dealing with failure in production environments. I mean, that's sort of one of the interesting things we run into as a, 
as a software company, as most, if not all, and nearly all of our customers run our software on premise. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for a variety of reasons, you know, security paranoia, um, you know, wanting to have the bandwidth, you know, to, to do stuff close to where the work is and, you know, all kinds of reasons. But, but that makes it difficult for us because when we have a, when we have a failure, it's, 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 you know, we don't know about it until the customer tells us because uh, right. it's on their, uh, you know, on their hardware running, running all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, what does MTTR mean if you're, uh, if you're an on-premise uh, piece of software? It, it means something very, very different. Um, so it's, it's metrics gets really, you know, kind of interesting and complicated pretty fast. Not, not even touching on any of the stuff that I talked about in terms of, you know, don't, don't pick numbers that can be gamed. You know, mm-hmm. be careful about, you know, are you usually measuring something useful um, or are you just picking a, a number that's easy to, you know, come up with and, and makes a pretty graph? Um, which yeah. obvi- you know, honestly, a lot of a lot of metrics are about the pretty graphs. A lot of times it's about, you know, hey, my traffic is bigger than your traffic. You know, the, it, it, it has to be sort of a competitive, you know, kind of kind of metric, uh, you know, metric fights. Uh, but but I think the typically what you see is the, the organizations, the software organizations that are high performers, they have figured out what metrics matter to them, how to measure them and how to act based on, you know, based on those measurements. Um, and, and, and that's a, you know, that's a tricky, subtle thing to, to do well. And, and, but, but you see the difference between, you know, if, if you read the state of DevOps report, the, the thing that the Puppet Labs and, and the Gene Kim and IT Revolution put out, I mean, the difference between the low performers and the high performers in this industry is, is you know, it's, it's orders of magnitude, right? You know, you're deploying 200 times more frequently if you're a high-performing organization than if, you, if you're a low-performing organization. So, so how have they figured out what have they measured? And so we, you know, so I sort of went through a, a kind of a prototypical software pipeline. Um, you know, build test CI, QA, uh, deployment, release, you know, operations, and and kind of picked you know three to five metrics uh, that are that are kind of generically useful uh, in in each of those pipeline stages, and then uh, covered that a little bit and talked about you know what some of our customers have done. Uh, in 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 those areas around those metrics and the kind of uh, you know the kind of ROI that they see uh, by paying so attention me, to that. So the interesting, yeah. yeah. Go sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say. So let me dive in a little bit there because um, I like to make a distinction, I guess, between uh, metrics or between the thing you're measuring as, let's say, the business value or the revenue or the ROI, um, and then something else that that is a concern that certainly connects to it, but in maybe a way that's not always obvious, and that's sort of just the technical achievement. Um, so I guess what, what I'm thinking is, is the sort of the natural tension that sometimes exists between dev and ops, which is one of the reasons for the whole movement in the first place, um, namely that um, like the dev guys want to get the features out there. They want to make something and make the thing grow and give it more feet, you know, make it able to do more and, and do more creatively. And the ops people want it to keep running and to run quickly and have, you know, meet certain kinds of uh, performance requirements and, and uptime and things like that. Yep. Keep the money coming in. Right. So So it might feel a little bit like, and this is maybe connected to both mean time to recovery, but, but also mean time between failures, right? But I feel a little bit like um, uh, the sort of the uh, if you want to push the technology really far and be kind of liberal and aggressive about that, um, then um, you might be more likely to have a failure, and that's one of the reasons why continuous delivery can can be really helpful, um, which is that the releases aren't so big that a failure is a giant waste of time. Um, but on the other hand, um, and this is one of the reasons, one of the reasonings I think behind, and also one of the problems of microservices. On the other hand, um, when you deploy frequently with a very complex system. Um, the kinds of uh, failures that can cascade are are sometimes hard to predict and sometimes hard to roll back, right? Oh, absolutely, um, yeah. I, I mean, I think that you know, 
there's a, there's a couple of things that, that are kind of um, that come to mind there. I mean, I think the, the, there's a great tweet um, that I have a screenshot of uh, that I use in a talk I do about microservices, which is, you know, basically it's we, we switch to microservices so that every failure analysis could be a treasure hunt. Exactly. Um, you know, you, you, when, you, when you go microservices, you, you've got a lot more moving parts. And uh, trying to figure out, you know, root cause uh, very quickly is, is difficult to do. So especially monitoring as it applies to metrics, you know, becomes incredibly important if you're doing microservices, right? All of a sudden you've got um, latencies uh, and bandwidth and reliability issues between core aspects of your application, which in, in the old monolith, you know, they used to sit next to each other in the same process. So, you know, the, the, you didn't worry about, uh, you know, was it, was I even going to be able to talk to that service, right? If I can't, then that means my process is dead and it's it's game over anyway. And, and now it's a lot more, uh, you know, many, many more moving parts and many more things that need to sort of get measured. And, and, and I think operationally, a lot of times you're also measuring for, you know, you're, you're, you're looking for that outlier, right? You're looking for the, the, the sore thumb that's going to tell you something's gone wrong. And, and hopefully it's also going to tell you where uh, that, that something has gone wrong. And I think with, with microservices, logging, um, you know, gets, gets to be fairly important as well in terms of how you do diagnostics, you know, once something does go, go belly up um, and, and either, you know, takes down a service entirely or, or degrades the performance of the service or, or you know, kind of, you know, no matter what the scenario is. But, uh, you know, ops have always been very used to um, doing real-time, you know, observation, real-time metrics, because that's, you know, that's how they, that's part of how they, uh, you know, keep their jobs, basically. Um, now, the interesting thing is I think what we need to do a little bit more of as, as an industry is we need to start that earlier in the process. Um, you know, we, we need to, you know, oftentimes, you know, if you're not doing performance metrics as part of your software pipeline, then your application probably won't perform in production, right? I mean, it's, it's the, the, the applications uh, are, are few and far between where you can just sort of, you know, jimmy up a little bit, build a code, and all of a sudden, boom, it works, it scales, it's, you know, it's all wonderful. Um, so a lot of times what we have to do in order to get better um, is apply these metrics as part of the software pipeline, whether it's performance testing, load testing, uh, you know, mean time to discovery of bugs is, is also another, uh, you know, kind of interesting metric uh, to, to, to look at there. Um, code coverage is, is can be a useful metric. Um, you know, you can also game it and, 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 you know, you have to be a little bit careful about that. But it absolutely can be, a, um, you know, can, can stick out like a sore thumb if you all of a sudden start doing a, a code coverage analysis on, on your various uh, code bases, you'll be, you know, shocked probably at how little test coverage there is in some of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so so there's, a, there's always metrics, I think, that you can pour into your software pipeline that, that will have impact, you know, downstream uh, once you get into production. And, and then a lot of times we don't do that. You know, we, we treat that as something that we do right before we release, right? Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll do our security scans right before we release. We'll do our performance measurements right before we release, which, you know, obviously that's the time at which the, the change you might have to make uh, in response to that measurement, um, you know, are, that, that's a high-risk change at that point, right? right? So, and high stress, uh, too, you know, right? It's, 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 absolutely, yeah. You know, and that's a whole other thing is how do you measure the cultural aspects of this? You know, how do you measure employee satisfaction? How do you measure, you know, the likelihood that your, you know, that your resources, your hum- human resources are going to walk out the door because this is the, you know, sixth week in a row that we've done a four-hour conference call to do a deployment on a Friday night, you know, those kinds of things add up as well and are a little bit more subtle to measure, but, but companies that do it um, often benefit from it. So, uh, 
Yeah, yeah. So pushing onto the cultural issue. So um, this is related to one of the other things you said before, I think. Um, just sort of, as I know, I feel like sometimes treating your code or your, I guess, your application a little bit like it's a person um, can help you think about how important it is to push left the evaluation and the improvement. And um, the, the parallel I have here is um, when I was teaching undergrad, um, and I started out just being like, all right, teach, teach, and then you have your midterm and then you have your final. And then when that happens, when you don't have evaluations along the way, they got really mad. They were like, how can you do this to me? I had no idea that I was way behind on this. And I was like, well, you know, <laughs> that's not really true. They need to get regular quizzes and feedback so that they can court, and, and they will decide how much it's worth to invest and so forth. And, and the code, I guess, is the same yeah. way, right? If, you're less, if your first test is the final test, then it's probably not going to do super well. And if it does super well, that's probably it's probably not going to succeed in the real world, and your final test was actually just sort of fooling yourself and your code. Well, the reason I mentioned this is that so when we did our uh, our survey earlier this year of developers and their attitudes towards continuous delivery, one of the questions we asked was um, which department was the initial driving force behind adopting continuous delivery as, as a concept, right, as, as a goal. And um, by far, it was the developers. The developers said the development uh, drove that. It was like 80-something percent said that uh, developers um, were the driving force in the organization of the adoption of continuous delivery. And I guess um, to, to me that makes sense, but I'm wondering is that just like our developer perspective, or do you, you know, do you find that it's usually developers who push this, or is it also ops people who push this, or do they just go along? Or tell me about the, the driving force, like on the cultural side, like who really cares about it? If I can do yeah, that. I, I think the answer to that question is probably, uh, you know, it, it really depends. Um, we we absolutely have, you know, kind of from our customer experience, you know, we, we've got uh, massive organizations where. You know, they they decide as as a whole, um, mm -hmm. you know, kind of across the board that that they're going to do this. Now, obviously, it, it had to start somewhere, and so there's probably a lot of cases where I just don't know where was the genesis because by the time we get involved, it's a little bit further down the road. Um, but we, but I, but I think, I mean, clearly, what we've seen, I think, in the last ten or fifteen years with Agile, I mean, my assertion has been, you know, for for quite a while, and and you get a little bit of pushback from this because. Um, it, because if you go read the Agile Manifesto, that's not what it says. But my, my point of view is that Agile, largely from a practical point of view, um, operated or operates largely in, in dev, QA, and, and kind of product ownership. And it hasn't really had a big impact on, on ops, um, e even though, you know, clearly if you, you, know, if you sort of read the, the text, as it were, you know, it, it talks about delivering software to the customer, which, you know, clearly has to involve operations if, if that's the kind of, uh, you know, that's the kind of app you have. But as, but as a practical matter, I think it's been, you know, sort of much more aimed at, uh, you know, kind of dev teams and, and QA teams. And, and then I think with continuous delivery and, and, and absolutely with DevOps, that, that kind of has started, um, I, I think about it a little bit as, you know, sort of addressing the last mile. You know, the, the last mile is often the hardest. And, and you know, we're, we're crossing, you know, yet another silo boundary very often as we go from, um, you know, from dev or, or release into ops with, you know, culturally often different reporting structures. You know, it's, it's not unheard of that, you know, ops reports to the CFO um, and is looked upon as a cost center. You know, so, so, so when you're in those kinds of cultural organizations or, if, you know, the Western classification of, of different types of organizations, you know, the punitive organizations, bureaucratic organizations, and generative or, or learning organizations, you know, the data pretty much all says, you know, if you're not a learning organization, you're going to screw up all of this stuff. You're going to screw up Agile, you're going to screw up DevOps, you're going to screw up CD, because if, if you can't get the culture right, um, then, then, 
you know, that's, that's just one of the three legs that you have to stand on to, to do this stuff right. And if you don't, uh, it gets really ugly pretty fast. Or you end up doing kind of the, the cargo cult agile where, you know, we do a stand up every day. Therefore, we're agile. Um, or, yeah. you know, I have DevOps in my, in my job title. Therefore, we do DevOps. Um, and, and, and so, you, you know, there's a lot of this stuff being practiced poorly, obviously. Um, but uh, hopefully what's going to happen is we'll, we'll, we'll get more and more people kind of noticing and seeing the competitive advantage that a, you know, rapidly, smoothly predictable software pipeline brings to you as a, as a you know, as an organization that's trying to, uh, you know, give something of value to your customers and get something of value back. Um, right. and, and, you know, obviously, you know, again, the, the companies that do this well are way out ahead of the ones that don't do it well. So, right. So, so we've talked a little bit about, uh, mostly about like the, I guess the business and the cultural sides of, of DevOps. And, um, I guess uh, there's a, a question I have that I just don't know the answer to, which is, um, on the, the technical side, are there any current like bottlenecks in the way the web works, say, um, that that are barriers or bottlenecks to the kind of like delivery practices that that Electrical uh, facilitates? And I'm thinking of something like, um, if, if I were you know a software developer who's trying to build a complex web application, I might be like, you know what, HTTP 1.1 is no good because opening a new TCP connection is really slow and laggy. Why don't we make a different HTTP 2 that has you know that can multiplex on TCP? Are there any kinds of barriers like that? Right. To that have to change before that aren't cultural or businessy. You know, that's an interesting question. Um, and doesn't it be web standards or anything? I mean, it I could be like current infrastructure, how it happens to be in, in many organizations. Yeah, no, I mean, I, so I think probably where, you know, if, if I was to pick a, a technology um, that's going to have, you know, for lack of a better word, a, you know, a, a disruptive or impactful, um, you know, change on how we do deployments, I think, you know, the two that you got to go for immediately are microservices and containers. Um, and, and they're often talked about in the same breath, but, you know, they're, they're, they are, you know, they, they can stand alone. Um, and, and I think that's where the way that we do deployments is going to change. Um, if you do microservices, then it's very, you know, you have to worry about a lot of things that you didn't have to worry about before when you do a deployment. Because, you know, if you're doing microservices so that you can have a more, you know, resilient or scalable kind of service and, and so that you can scale only the things that you need to scale, uh, not everything, then you've got to have a, you've got to, you know, you've got to deploy that into an operational environment where you can do that scaling, you know, and ideally, you know, do it on demand if you, if you want, you know, um, you know, extra credit, uh, you know, do that scaling on demand and then scale it back down when, when you don't need the capacity anymore. So, so absolutely, I, I'm going to do lots of deployments during the operation of my application, even though I'm not rolling out new code, right? Mm-hmm. Because I'm, I'm spinning up another 10 instances of the service to handle a peak load. And then I'm going to spin them down, you know, when I don't need them anymore so I can save money. Um, that, you know, you're doing deployments there um, on an operational application, even though you're not rolling out a new version of the code. And, and so I think um, things like microservices and containers and, and they make it, you know, and containers especially, you know, make it so easy to do things quickly. Um, you, you have to think about it, I think, a little bit more because, you know, it doesn't necessarily do you any good to run, you know, two containers on the same piece of hardware if what you wanted out of those two containers was redundancy. So now you got to worry about, well, what piece of hardware is that service running on? So you, so you start to, you know, you, you start to have to worry about those things. And then um, the question then becomes, you know, does that, is that a monitoring or, or um, deployment capability that, that I have to provide as, a, yeah. as an ops person? 
or is that something I can buy off the shelf or is it something I'm going to get out of, you know, container platforms themselves? And, and so I think there's a lot of um, a lot of opportunities and a lot of interesting things that will happen. And, and, and probably, you know, so microservices and containers, I think, will have the kind of the, the biggest impact on, you know, release automation, deployment automation, uh, all of uh, all of those kinds of things. So operational elasticity in general, not uh, resource isolation in particular, just the lightweight character, that's kind of the social character of, of images, um, that kind of thing is what you're focusing on. Yeah, and, and, and that, I mean, it hasn't, and obviously if you're doing something like microservices, that, that, you know, obviously that has an impact all the way back to dev because you, yeah. you have to either, you know, re-architect or, or architect your application that way. And then as a dev now, it's much more difficult for me to, to quote-unquote, spin up the app because my, my monolithic, you know, war file that I used to be able to drop into my local copy of, you know, JBoss or Jetty or whatever now is 15 different, you know, processes. And yep. How do I spin those up easily, and then and, and, and those kinds of things. So, so the notion of and, and actually, I think in some ways this is a good thing. That you know, the the, the notion that I'm doing deployments only in operations um, kind of has to go away, right? Because you, you don't want to be doing your first deployment that the day that you go into production, right? You want to have been doing deployments in development during QA during the pipeline, basically, and 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 so that you grow and, and look at your deployment code. Uh, I'll call it, whether it's, you know, process as code or, or domain-specific language or whether it's a pile of scripts or, or whatever, you really ought to think about that as a feature of your product. And, and, and there's an interesting analogy that somebody drew for me that I've, that I've you know, uh, shamefully stolen, which is in the, in the days of desktop-only software, um, the, the sort of functional equivalent of, of today's deployment script was the installer. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, the installer was one of those weird things that a lot of companies treated as an afterthought, um, had usually inexperienced people working on it, and yet it's a very important thing. It's often the first exposure that an end user has to your product. DLL hell is yeah. what I'm thinking of, right? Like, you don't want the modern yeah. equivalent of, just, oh, not found, sorry about that. Oop, the service is not, yeah. no, no. not wrong address? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And And, and, and so... You know your 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 deployment scripts should become a part of your application. Um, now maybe they're a part of many applications or many services or you know depending on how you structure it. But you know you, you want to be nurturing that thing as you as you develop the the product, um, and especially if you're doing microservices because if you if you rearrange your services, you by definition also have to rearrange how you deploy them. That, that gets us thinking in terms of look. Um, deployment is not for production only. Deployment is something we have to be doing the whole time. We can do it well or we can do it poorly, but but we but we have to do it. Yeah, I feel like I read an article. Maybe it was by you guys. I'm not sure about ops dev. Was it was the the word that I heard? Yeah. Um, yep. Was yep. that by you or or somebody at Electric Lab? Yeah, that was. <laughs> yeah, that was. The, no, that was uh, Andreas uh, Garmawan, our our uh, head of services. Uh, okay. Was, was noodling uh, noodling on that topic. Yeah, see in that direction, right? So, so you know that makes sense. It reminds me, my wife um, uh, did a, uh, a code camp uh, a few weeks ago, and um, they spent a whole day just configuring your environment. <laughs> they were like, you know what, we could give oh, yeah. you a nice virtual machine, but we want you to know that this is a big part of stuff about writing code, and it's a frustrating part, and it's just going to feel annoying and you're going to get it wrong unless you start with it. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it, it's, it's actually kind of uh, it's interesting how few, in, in general, how few developers actually are even able to run the application that they're working on kind of on demand as they need to, you know, debug it or test it or, or what have you. They, 
they oftentimes are completely blind. All, all they can do is run unit tests, which is good. I mean, you, you absolutely want to do that. But so many developers work, work on products where, you know, and this, I mean, this happens even with us where they're like, yeah, I don't really know how to start the server, you know? Mm-hmm. So I usually just wait for the build to happen and wait till it gets deployed onto our, you know, onto our alpha environment that gets, you know, deployed to every time we have a build. And then I test it there, which means, you know, you're adding probably at least an hour delay between the time that you wanted to do that thing and the time that you're able to do it. Um, and that adds up. So, so uh, engineers, whether it's QA engineers or, or dev engineers or ops engineers for that matter, um, not being able to spin up the application is kind of, that's kind of weird to me, you know, that, that, I mean, it's that, and yet it's very common that you're not able to. Yeah, you, you, if you were an engineer of like a building or a plane or something, of course that would be true. If you have an opportunity, software gives you the opportunity to actually see it, work with it, play with it in runtime, right? And if you can't do that, that's, that feels sad. It feels like, well, you might as well be designing buildings that aren't going to be bearing fruit for years anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, no, it's kind of true. Maybe it'll be very reliable, though. Um, so we're basically out of time, but just real quick, um, any any final um, thoughts about uh, what you guys are doing, or um, where you see the future going, and what kinds of problems you see coming up and solving the next couple of couple of years around delivery? Yeah, I mean, so the, 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 there really are a couple of things that we've been working on pr- pretty hard, and, and have a um, you know product release that is uh, um, in in early access now, and, and and will be fully available pretty soon. But the the cool thing about the, this this upcoming release is. We now have the the ability to basically do push button rolling deployments uh, across fairly large infrastructures. So you can, um, on a per environment basis, go in and say, "Here is a, a deployment pattern that I want to be able to use when I deploy to this environment." Whether it's a, you know, typically it'll it'll be into a production environment uh, when you want to do things like a rolling deployment. But you know, the, the the kind of the ask from from our customers to us was, we need to be able to do zero or, or very low downtime deployments into, into significant uh, infrastructure with, with complex applications. So we've been working on that and have that coming out, uh, you know, pretty much, uh, you know, any, any day now um, and, and have, been, have been working on that. And then one of the things we'll, we'll be focusing on uh, next is, um, you know, how we can uh, provide access to some of these, you know, new, uh, you know, kind of technologies like microservices and containers for, you know, organizations that aren't necessarily always on the bleeding edge of, of um, climbing the hype cycle along with everybody else, right? They they uh, they more want to kind of be told, you know, what is this for and how do we use it and, and, and those kinds of things. And, you know, so we're trying to figure out um, how do we, uh, with containers in particular, uh, what we'd like to provide is sort of an agnostic uh, environment where you can deploy your, you know, you can deploy it into Kubernetes, you can deploy it into, you know, Docker data center, um, and, and, and kind of be the, um, the Sweden or Switzerland for, you know, no matter where your ultimate uh, destination is for your application, we want to be the, you know, the automation tool uh, for making that deployment happen. And also along the way, maybe help you stay out of vendor lock-in for your container hosting service or, you know, uh, uh, help you, uh, you know, manage your, your deployment processes along with your application and, and do all the modeling. Uh, that you need to do to get those kinds of uh, things right and, and have them working reliably. So we're we're kind of uh, doing all, uh, doing all kinds of interesting uh, uh, deploy advanced deployment patterns that you know heretofore you know you kind of had to be one of the unicorns with your army of engineers you know writing the complex bespoke uh, deployment systems. With you now can start to get that kind of stuff you know almost off the shelf uh, with uh, with the kind of functionality that we're uh, that we're shipping. So so that's kind of cool. It'll be fun to. Uh, to see that, uh, you know, kind of get deployed into some of our, you know, larger uh, customers. You know, we've got 
you know, customers like a, a Fortune 20 bank, I'm not allowed to use their name, but they have 6,000 applications and 100, I think 44,000 services or endpoints uh, in their data centers that they deploy to. So deployments for, for companies like that are very different, obviously, than, you know, we're six people in a garage writing a PHP-based, uh, you know, a web application and mobile app, you know. So, so uh, some of those problems get, uh, get kind of fun and interesting to work on. We, we like to do that. Yeah, but if you're going back to the 12 factors, right, it's all clean, right? Everything is separated. Who cares about the scale? That's not really true. <laughs> And I, and I think actually that, that, that's where Gartner has a really good point with their bimodal, you know, IT, which actually I think they should have called it multimodal IT because it, it isn't just old and new. It's going to be old, new, all kinds of stuff in between. But, but the, you know, that's another kind of cool thing that we let our customers do is you can have completely waterfall, um, you know, old style development and, and deployment and, and automate all of that through our tools. And then you can also be a fast-paced, uh, bleeding-edge a unicorn running, you know, yeah, running 12-factor applications and microservices and containers and, and all of that kind of stuff and, and still give visibility into all of those uh, pipelines uh, to, to everybody that needs it in, in sort of under one pane of glass. Um, so I think the bimodal, multimodal thing is here to stay for a very long time. No, exactly. But also infantry and cavalry together can sometimes be more effective than one or the other. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, well, thanks a lot, Anders. Um, that was actually very helpful, very informative. I appreciate it. And it was nice to phone meet you, finally. Yeah, likewise, likewise. Thanks for listening to Code Talk. I'm your host, John Esposito. To hear more, go to dzone.com slash podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or requests, email us at podcast at dzone.com, E-O-F. <laughs>